Well, I hope that you have a better feel now for Noah and his family and his wife as God came and spoke to them and challenged them in their faith. So why don't you go ahead and grab your message notes out, grab your Bible, turn it to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. If you didn't get a Bible, make sure to pick one up when you come in. You can leave it when you leave, or you can actually take it with you if you don't have one. Now, this is the NLT uh, translation. Typically, we'll use that most of the way through. Today, I uh, hedged a little bit and used also what I think is the next best translation, ESV, and you'll find that on your message notes. So if you're following along in this, some of it may not line up exactly, but it will be close. Now, on Friday morning or Friday afternoon, evening, uh, around the world, we're going to get to watch the opening ceremonies for the Olympics. You know, I'm just so excited about, you know, all this stuff that they put into that opening ceremony and and watching the parade of athletes as they represent their country march around on across what is really the largest world stage ever. Now these athletes are going to come and they're going to compete in, in their area of uh, expertise and they're going to compete in what we're calling the arena of competition. Every athlete will be in his own, her own arena, but it's the arena of competition. And they have been training and sacrificing and working and getting support and crying and falling and getting up, all with the desire that they would come and be able to compete and represent their country. And you know what? Possibly win a medal in the Olympics. Each athlete's come, they'll be there ready to compete. When they walk around that stage, uh, around that ring, whatever it is, track, that they'll have their flags, they're ready to compete. They're ready to overcome. They are ready to face their fear. And you got to know that there's a lot of fear when they're going to get into that moment and it's going to be their spotlight in the arena of competition. They're ready to embrace the courage that they're going to need. They're ready to stand up again when they fail and maybe fall down and suffer defeat. So our current series is using that as a backdrop. As we talk about the arena, as we talk about uh, you and I competing in our arena of life that God puts us in, and we're also looking at these characters from Hebrews chapter 11, and to, last week we looked at a couple, and this week we look at one, and we're looking at each one of those characters and saying, looking at their story and their walk with God by faith, and then how can we learn from them? Each one of them inspired their generation. Each one of them now inspires generations that follow and will all follow and follow even our generation as we read about them in Hebrews chapter 11. We look at the top of your notes to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, this is kind of the key verse for our series that we're looking at. It says, we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord and about his power and his mighty wonders. And we will tell, not just with our lips, but we will tell with our actions that, that we believe in God and that he's going to do great things. And by our actions, people will see that he used ordinary people to accomplish the extraordinary. We will influence our generation as we do that, but we will also influence the generations to come as they tell our stories. Now, I put our definition of faith there. You know, last week I left it off. This week it's there for you. And faith, there's the definition. Faith is being sure that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. That he is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. So therefore, if I'm going to have faith, I need to know a couple things, right? I need to know one, who God is. And so I need to spend some time knowing the truth about God. And then I need to know what God says. And then the culmination of that is that faith acts. And so as I know who he is and I know what he says, then I'm going to trust him enough to act. 
I'm going to follow what he's guided me to do, and I'm going to act on his behalf. There's 11.6 Hebrews. Uh, Brett read to us a moment ago. We covered this in depth last week, but I wanted to come back and just start there today as we jump in. It says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So the way to please God is to approach God by faith. By faith, we come to him. Not by our works or our effort. The way to please God is to come to him by faith, believing he's who he says he is, and believing that he can do what he says and will do what he says he will do. So that's the way that we please God. And then last week, we talked about this quite a bit, that the rewards of Hebrews eleven six comes back to earlier in the chapter when it says that these heroes that we're looking at were commended by God, Commended means they were accepted, or God declared them as right, declared them as righteous because of their faith. And that's the reward that we're looking for from God. So today we're going to look at Noah. Oh, by the way, I put the key idea from last week on there. But you know what? I just must be, you know, I'm losing my mind. I left half of it off, or I left a piece of it off. See, I want you to write this in with me. Here we go. It says, if, here's the key idea we looked at last week. If we're going to be commended by God and inspire a generation of champions— we must believe the Bible to be God's word. We must come to him on his terms, and we must then obey him. We must obey him. You want to write that down. We must obey him, or better, as Enoch did, we must walk in obedience. Walk in obedience. So you want to write that down. Commended by God, we must ins and inspire generous and champions. We must believe the Bible to be God's word. We must come to him on his terms, and we must walk with him in obedience. Now, we're going to look at Noah today, who did exactly what we're talking about in this whole thing. He trusted that God was who he said he was, and then he believed that God could do what he said and actually was going to do what he said he was going to do, and then he acted as God guided. So here we go. We're going to read verse 7, and uh, in Hebrews 11, it's the only verse we're going to look at today, and I was just, I'm just amazed. I mean, I could have done a whole series of 10 messages on this one verse. It's just this one verse. It's packed full of so much. So my biggest dilemma in today was, what am I not going to say? What am I not going to be able to say today about Noah that would help us to understand? But here's what it says in verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen, remember faith is believing things not yet seen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By faith, then, in his actions, by faith, he condemned the world, and he became an heir. Now, that word heir is really key to think about as we go through this. An heir is someone who gains at the expense of someone else. An heir is someone who gains at the expense of someone else. So if I receive an inheritance, I'm gaining at the expense of someone else who accumulated that those possessions or whatever it is, and then I got it as a result of someone else. It's just a pretty cool concept as we look about this. When you receive an inheritance, you gain what someone else has paid for. So Noah is an heir. We're going to really tie that in in the end of our talk today. Heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So he was made right by faith. Heir of righteousness, once again, just means to be he was commended by God. So he was commended by God by his faith not through what he actually did. 
So it was by grace that Noah received favor from God. In fact, I'm going to move over to Genesis and read these verses to you from Genesis, which tells us a little bit more of the story. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. or He received grace. God looked upon him with grace and favor because of his faith. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. That's a key phrase. Remember last week we talked about the fact that Enoch walked with God? It means that he comes close to God continually in conversation. Close to God continually in conversation. It means that they are going to the same place, on the same path, at the same pace. So that's what we're looking at. That's what Noah did as well. He was someone like Enoch who had intimate relationship with God. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I had determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Noah did this, and then notice what it says. He did all that God commanded him. So he believed that God was who he said he is, and then he did everything that God had asked him to do. So just turn your notes over. Let's go to the backside, and let's just apply that now. What would that look like? What did Noah do that we can do that would cause us to stand uprightly in our culture too, to cause people to take notice of us so that then they can also learn from us what God means, who God is, so that they can also have and stand under his grace. So three things that Noah did. We will stand uprightly when we take God at his word. We will stand uprightly when we take God at his word. So I, I you know, just Bill Cosby, you know, did such a great job there. And uh, anybody know what year that was done? Anybody? I know it's going to date, date you to say it, but 60s is what I keep hearing. Six, almost like you're afraid to even say that. <laughs> oh, my word. That's a long time ago. Okay, so anyway, that was really cool. But he did a great job of helping us to learn about what it might have been like to build, you know, when God came to Noah and, and uh, Noah's working, and God comes to him and says, Noah, I want you to build a boat. And then he kind of described the boat. And I'm just thinking Noah was doing calculations in his head about what that boat would look like. And he realized that he, there's never, he's never seen a body of water big enough to hold a boat like that. And so he's sitting there and he's thinking, okay, what is God asking me to actually do? I believe in God. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. But what is he asking me to do? Well, I shared this principle for you last week, and I'll, I put it on your notes this week, just so we can kind of understand it as we go through this series. It's key to every character that we look at. While it's important that we believe in God, it's even more important that we believe God. Now, lots of folks believe in God. Lots of folks would say that they believe in God. But the true, true test of whether you believe in God is whether you believe God. And believing God means that I will act when he speaks. I will do what he says. I will follow him where he leads. That shows that I actually believe in God. That is actually faith. Believing God is not faith. When I act in God, that's faith. That's what steps and sets me apart from everyone else. That's what set Noah apart from everyone else as he acted in faith. See, faith is more than just an intellectual assent. A lot of folks will give intellectual assent to God. Faith is when we say, I'm going to believe in what God says. So what that means is, is that I have to let God's definition of reality be my definition of reality. As God defines reality, I have to let that define reality for me instead of trying to make it be what I want it to be. 
So Noah believed God, and Noah took God at his word, and it said there that he had a reverent fear. Lots of folks really squirm when it says that someone should fear God or that they feared God. And you know what? It doesn't mean that we cower in fear before God. It means that we, in reverence, come before him so that we can just acknowledge. We sang today, not to us, but that you would be the glory, and we come to you and worship. And as we come to you and worship, as we bow down before you, that's kind of the idea here, is Noah had a reverent fear. He knew God was all-powerful and God could do all things. But he also knew God had loved him and was in a relationship with him. And he had this kind of reverent fear to go with him. So God came to Noah and said this, Noah, there's a wave coming. There is a wave coming. There is something coming that you're not even aware of and you've never experienced in your life as of yet. And it will sweep everything away before it. Nothing will be able to stop it. Nothing will be able to stand before it. And I want you to build an ark that will save you and your family. And just as you are standing uprightly before your culture, you will be able to stand uprightly with me because I am going to save you. You will stand when everyone else falls. And on the basis of what God said, Noah simply said, I take God on his word. I take him at his word. Second idea is this. I stand uprightly when I do what he says. So I take him at his word. That's what he's going to do. And now, here comes the test. Am I going to do what he says that he wants me to do? And oftentimes I think that's the barrier for us. Is we, you know, we, we come and we, oh, we believe in God and we sing songs about God and, and we talk about him and we get in groups and we love each other. And then when it comes down to the bottom line, am I going to do what God's called me to do or asked me to do? Well, oh, my word, how's he gonna, oh, how am I going to do that? And I really don't expect God to infringe on my life, do you? And to take some of my joy away. And so we kind of hedge when it comes to actually doing what he says. So what happens is, we talked about this a lot last week. In fact, I'm doing a lot of reference to last week. If you weren't here, you need to go back and watch that service. But last week we talked about when we come to God, we can come to him one of two ways. We can come to God with reason, or we can come to God through revelation. And a lot of us try to reason with God. Okay, God, you told me to do this, but did you really mean that? Oh, yeah, God, I think I'd do it this way. I think I could make it this happen. And I just want to reason with you about how I think I could make it happen. And God says, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I spoke to you. I want you by revelation to do what I've asked you to do. And you know what? Oftentimes when God speaks to us and it's revelation, we can't figure out how it's going to happen. But we have to follow God. And I want to say blindly, but it's not blindly because we know who he is and we trust that he's going to do what he says he can do. So we have faith in him. We have established relationship because we're walking with him. We're close continually. We have conversation. We have intimacy. So we're going to trust God to take those steps, even though we don't understand where those steps are actually going to lead us. Look what it says in Genesis 6:22 about Noah. Noah did circle that hugely, everything, exactly without hesitation. He didn't spin it. He didn't twist it. He didn't reason it. He did everything God said exactly, and then God commended him for his faith. Okay, so everybody else is living in oblivion, and Noah's hearing from God. Everybody else is living according to their own way. They're following their own path, much like we talked about about Enoch last week, but it's gotten worse now in Noah's day uh, as they're pursuing their own fleshly and sinful desires. And then we know that Noah took a stand 
And he says, no, I'm not going to follow my culture. God said this, and I'm going to do what God says. That's faith. Now look at how James, the brother of Jesus, writes that. He says this, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good works, it is dead. True faith acts. Faith is not just in a sexual, intellectual assent where I say, oh yeah, I believe that. I believe in that. Faith acts. Faith actually does what God's called us to do. Now, here's a picture of the ark. It's a replica. I'm sure Noah's looked much better than this. Uh, but this is a replica of the ark. You know, several of these have been built. I think this is actually in Holland? Netherlands. And, uh, and so it's in the Netherlands. And this is gonna, I'm just going to leave this up for a long time. And so as I'm going to talk a little bit about the boat and what it was like. But he did ex- Noah did exactly what God said. So the, as you look at the description in Genesis of this boat, um, and by the way, it really wasn't a boat. It's like a floating barge is what it was. It's a box. That's another way to say it. Ark is box. And so it was just a box that actually would float. So it's about 450 feet long. And those are sports fans. That's, you know, a football field and a half. And uh, I understand it was about a football and a half feet um, wide as well. So width is the wide as a football field is another half as wide as well. So that's how big it was. It was about 40 feet tall, or for our equivalent, that would be 40 stories tall. And you just got to know that when Noah was called to build this, uh, God came to him and even though the drama said he was a carpenter, we had no idea what his occupation was. But more than likely, he had some handy work. You know, God came to me and said, build an ark, and I had to go pay somebody else to do it. <laughs> Typically with me, when I do all handyman projects, either I pay someone or Kim does it. So I would have said, come on, Kim, let's do this, and you can do it yourself. And so there we go. So he's just an ordinary guy going about just his ordinary life, and he's having what would be kind of like an ordinary day, And God comes to him in the middle of this ordinary day and calls him to build this boat. And then what happened is, I'm sure that as he started the process, he came underneath scathing ridicule from his, uh, you know, culture, from everyone around him about what he was doing. Because you got to remember, if they're as debased as the Bible says, then there was no grace given to anyone. There was nobody receiving grace. So that meant no one was giving grace. So that meant that this was a pretty terse and pretty coarse and pretty rough culture. And so they were probably ruthless with him. And so he says, okay, I'm going to start building this boat. Now think about the excuses that he could have had when he started this, um, not to do this. If he was a carpenter, if he was even a boat builder of any, any you know, building boats, he had never built a boat this size before, right? He'd never probably been called to build a boat this size before. He also understood because no one had been willing to follow God with him up to this point, that he wasn't going to be able to go out and woo people to be able to build this boat with him. Um, so he was probably going to be doing it with it alone, which meant he was going to list his family, his sons and their wives and folks to help him. So he was going to do it alone. Uh, you think about the supplies that this was going to require. Uh, kind of a, you know, a whole warehouse of supplies. And just know in his day, they didn't have like hills flat lumber, you know, that you could call up and say, deliver me a load of gopher wood or whatever it happened to be. They didn't have BNC hardware that could supply him with everything that he needed. Uh, that he had to go literally go out and cut down every tree and to form every board and then fit them together to make it work. 
As nearly as we can tell, uh, that when Noah built this ark, he was about 500 miles from the nearest body of water that would have been big enough to have allowed this boat to actually float. So somewhere 500 miles from the biggest body of water, it would be like us building an ark in the middle of Kansas, okay? That's kind of what it would be like. And you just think about that. You don't put a barge this big on the back of your trailer and take it to the lake for the weekend, okay? So it's kind of like, oh, that's impossible. What God's calling to do is impossible. And on top of that, what some people may not know, and some scholars believe, is that Noah more than likely had never even seen rain before. Many scholars believe that at, before the flood, that the earth was enveloped in a, in a mist, an atmosphere of mist, and uh, which would actually explain why that you can go up to the polar ice caps and find you know, and, you know marine critters up in the, in the ice caps. So we have this marine layer, and so more than likely, Noah had never even seen rain before, so he didn't even know what a flood was or what a flood's potential could actually do. So Noah had no clue what was going to happen after he built this boat, except God said, I'm going to destroy the world. And he knew that, and he trusted God, that God would do what he said, and so he followed God's directions. And I just want to add one more thing to how hard this might have been for Noah. The Bible indicates that it took him 120 years, 120 years to build the boat Guys, can you imagine? <laughs> Some of you have home improvement projects that feel like they've gone on that long, still aren't finished, but can you imagine 120 years? I, I'm sure Mo Noah never envisioned that when he, you know, he steps out eagerly with God, God, I'm so eager to build this boat with you, I can't wait, and so he gets his axe and he goes out, gopher tree, chop, 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 gopher tree comes down. I never, don't think he ever imagined that with the zeal he chopped down that first gopher tree, he would have to have that same zeal for 120 years as he waited on God. Long time to wait. So what we need to understand in that whole waiting zone is this, is that we need to understand that when we are following God's will, when we are following God's plan, sometimes we're going to find that waiting is part of the plan. It's part of what God wants to do as he works in us in this time that we get to wait. In fact, I'll just say this, I think it requires more faith to wait than to act. Right? More faith to wait than it, it actually takes to act. So here's what I learned about Noah as I was reading this. I'm thinking about this whole waiting thing. Here we go. Kind of a principle that you want to write down would be like this. Here it is. Do what you can today to accomplish what God wants you to do tomorrow. Do what you can today to accomplish what God wants you to do tomorrow. I was just thinking about Noah, and that's what he did. Every day he took a step. 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 Another step, another step, another step, another step. 120 years worth of steps he took doing exactly what God had called him to do, even though he wasn't sure how it was going to turn out as he was waiting on God. Well, finally, Noah got the boat built, and God spoke. So this is Genesis 7. When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with all your family, for among all the people of the earth I can see that you alone are righteous. 120 years, folks. You remember we had the, our, our friend here from another country a few weeks ago? And he said that he had been in that country for nine years and that he had not had one convert, or not one person had chosen Jesus Christ because of him. Noah 
has been standing for God for 120 years building the ark and not one person joined him. Not one human being turned to God. So Noah did everything, though, as the Lord commanded him. He built the boat. He stocked the boat. He got it ready to, to go. He waited for 100 years, 120 years, in the middle of his disbelief, in the middle of his insecurity, in the middle of what he thought was failure, and in the middle of his embarrassment, in the middle of all the awkward situations that he had with people, he still said, God's called me to do this, and I must take the step I know I can take today. That's all I can do, is take the step I know I can take today. Third idea is this. He could stand uprightly because he chose to depend on God's provision. Because he chose to depend on God's provision. So he believed that God would provide even though he couldn't see how. Now you got to know, that floating boat that we looked at just a minute ago, think about this. It didn't have a rudder. It didn't have a steering wheel or whatever you call that on a boat. It didn't have a captain. Uh, it didn't have, he, did, he wasn't given a set of maps. It didn't have a GPS. It didn't have a motor. It didn't have a mast. It didn't have sails. It was simply a boat that would float. And God was the captain. And God was the guide. But the only thing God said to Noah is, I want you to get in the boat. You've prepared yourself. Now, I will take you and guide you wherever I want you to go. Wherever I want you to go. And you can trust me. And as we know from the story that God provided everything that Noah needed, they came to land, they got out, they found a place where they could uh, worship God. God gave them the rainbow as a way of saying, I will never destroy the land, the earth, by flood again. And so Noah received God's provision. And God provided everything because Noah was a man of faith. He took God at his word. He acted on what he knew God had called him to do. And when he didn't see how anything could happen, he trusted that God would be the one who would provide. That God would provide his every need when he stepped out with him. So here's the deal we want to think about. Faith listens to God. Faith obeys God and acts. Faith trusts God. And I want to add one more thing just to kind of help us to understand. Faith also speaks for God. Faith speaks for God. See, there's something more to this story than Noah. And this is what I got so excited about as I was kind of, you know, doing my study and understanding of this. So there's something more to this story about Noah, more to this story about the depraved culture, more to this story than the flood, more to this story than faith, more to this story than what you can see. Look at 2 Peter 5. 2 Peter 5. Peter writes, And God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment, so God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. So God used an ark to save Noah and his family. That's how God chose to deliver mankind in the Old Testament. 
Now, in the New Testament, see, the ark's a type of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the ark. Jesus Christ is the way. So in the, in the New Testament now, all who get on the ark are saved. In fact, look at what Jesus says himself in Matthew 24. He says, when the Son of Man returns, and by the way, when Jesus says that, he's saying, I'm, I, you can be rest assured, I'm coming back. And at the end of the age, and the insinuation here, as he's getting ready to take us to, the insinuation here, as at the end of the age, there will be a judgment similar to the flood of Noah's day, where everyone will be judged. And he says this, and on that day, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered his boat. So kind of the idea is this, is that in Noah's day, no one worried about the flood until the, the, the water was up to the rooftops. And he's saying it's similar in his day. It'll be similar in the end of time as well. It's kind of like when the tsunami hit in Asia, is that when the water, you know, tsunamis work, when the water went out, everyone looked and saw the fish that, was, that were just flopping around in the sand and, that w- and what was left, and they got so excited about that, they were out gathering up the fish, and they looked up, and the water was coming back. And, you know, hundreds and thousands of people died because they simply didn't take heed to the warnings they knew about tsunamis. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So what Jesus is saying is this, and this is why I want us to be sober here, very sober. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying there is a wave coming. There's a tsunami coming. There's a storm brewing that will have an impact just like the impact that the flood had on the world in Noah's day and what he's saying to the people then and he's saying to the people now, and you had better get ready. You had better get ready. So the flood, the storm, the wave, that represents God's judgment. And we don't like to talk about God's judgment very much, do we? It's kind of scary to talk about his judgment. But to deny the coming judgment would be just like the people who denied the flood was coming, just like the people who denied the tsunami was coming, because it is coming, and to deny the coming judgment is to deny reality. It's to deny the fact that this is what God has said. So if you're going to take God at his word, believe he's who he says he is, and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, then you must believe that there is a judgment coming. And you know what? Anyone who tells tells you, well, that's true for you, you need to say truth is truth for everyone. And when God says it, it's going to happen whether you believe it or not. And we, as those who many of us have said yes to Jesus Christ, this should start a burning within us. How many of you feel a burning after what you saw in Aurora, Colorado? How many of just made you cry as you read stories and just tears and I just, my gut ached and, and bawled a couple of times and I was just reading the accounts? Well, that's how we should feel about the coming judgment that the judgment is coming and that the ark 
of Jesus Christ is the only way that people will be saved, the only way that they will be able to escape. There is no other way. Jesus said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father by me, and I'll say it today, no one will be saved apart from Jesus Christ. The judgment day is coming, and every man, woman, and child will stand before God, and at that moment, they will, God will ask this question, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? This is New Testament age. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And your answer to that question, the answer to that question will determine eternal reality. It will determine whether it's a fiery existence for eternity or whether you will be saved. Noah condemned the world by his actions because the world did not respond. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 and says this, he says, everyone who is in Jesus Christ, everyone who is in Jesus Christ, there is no, no what? No condemnation. There is no condemnation for everyone who is in the ark. And the only way, folks, that people will be able to be saved from condemnation at the judgment is if they are in the ark. And this is where I just want to say to us, and the only way they'll get in the ark if someone tells them about Jesus Christ. And that's why we exist as a church. We exist as a church to help people connect to Jesus Christ so that they can know God. They get in the ark and they're redeemed and they're set free. What that requires is for every one of us to say, in our hearts, I choose Jesus. I choose him. And I want to do everything I can to help everyone in my world to be able to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ and choose yes or no. I can't force anyone to choose, but I can only give them the opportunity to say yes or no. And that's what I'm called to do. Well, as I was reading about the tragedy in Aurora, uh, one of the things that just jumped out to me uh, is what people will do in the face of physical death to save someone else. Some of the people who are dead are dead because they jumped in the way of a bullet that was headed for someone else. They took a bullet for someone else. And I was thinking about that, and I thinking about what Noah did, and thinking about what God's called us to do. Spiritual death is way worse than physical death. And I just thought, and it's honest, this is soul-searching for me. Am I willing to take a bullet? Am I willing to take a hit? Am I willing to give up my own comfort? Am I willing to sacrifice to save someone from spiritual death? I will be. If I believe that God is who he says he is, and that he will do what he says he will do. And that last part means that he said there would be a judgment. And because of that, everyone who's not in the ark of Jesus will know spiritual death. That's just so challenging to me. So challenging to me. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer now. I ask that you would speak to every one of us, that you would show us God uh, clearly 
you would reveal yourself and reveal your word to us even now about what you would have us do. I I don't think you're going to have any of us build a huge ark. But what you may ask us to do in faith may seem that big. And God, I pray today that we would be a people who would say yes to you. Yes to you. Yes to giving up financially. Yes to giving up physically. Yes to giving up in our um, desires. And even for some, yes to giving up our lives. Yes to giving up our reputations. Yes to giving up our comfort. Yes to giving up our own desires. That we would stand uprightly that others may know Jesus Christ. And then get to choose whether they'll get in the ark or not. But that's not our responsibility. It's just our job to tell. And so, Father, I pray that you would inspire us deeply with that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.